Hey entrepreneurs and website owners, if you're ready to take your online presence to the next level, you need a reliable web host. And that's where HostGator comes in. HostGator is your one-stop solution for easy, affordable, and powerful web hosting. Whether you're launching a blog, an online store, or anything in between, HostGator's got you covered. Don't miss out on creating the website you've always wanted. Visit foxcitiesmm.com slash HostGator today and let your journey begin. You're listening to Fox City's Murder and Mayhem, your bi-weekly dose of true crime history in a small rural community of Wisconsin. Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in to Fox City's Murder and Mayhem. I'm Eric Waltergens. I'm Gavin Schmidt. And Gavin, we're back with another episode. It hasn't been that long since we recorded the last one, so no, that's, I guess a, not. that's a good sign, right? Sure. I guess. Yeah, I don't know. They can't tell the difference. <laughs> uh, yeah. So what do you got for us today? Actually, not what I expected to have. Not what you expected to have. Yeah. So last time we did uh, Frank Fry, who was the retired police officer, motel night watchman. Correct. And what I was going to do this time was Marvin Jansen, who was killed around the same time um, at a car dealership. And we'll do that next time. We'll we'll, we'll still do it. But I was kind of curious and I was like, I want to know a little bit more about some of this stuff that was going on in this area. Oh, so this is we're going to go deeper into all the stuff that was happening on Prospect around this time? Well, not all of it. Some of it. But I was like, let's let's look into this a little bit. So this is actually going to be more history and less crime uh, this time. There's no murder so, if you're here for the murder, I'm sorry. You already got the murder last week. Yeah, no murder. Now we're just giving you the backstory. Yeah, the mayhem is very low. Uh, it's almost non-existent mayhem. I just kind of wanted to paint a picture of what's going on around this area. So, we're going to talk about Stroby Island. Okay. How about that? Well, Stroby Island, we know it was around, well, it's around forever. It was an island. Yeah. But it was a, but <laughs> they it didn't suddenly make it. <laughs> but the, but the white settlers were already there by the 1830s. Um, apparently a bad case of smallpox had come through, uh, the tribes, the Menominee. Fort Howard, uh, by Green Bay, sent a guy down to take care of them, help them out, give them some treatments. And turns out he liked what he saw. He's like, well, I don't like the smallpox part, but the island's pretty nice. So that guy's name is Archibald Caldwell, and he ends up settling there in the 1830s. Apparently liked it so much that he married seven Menominee women. Wow. Yeah, at At the the same same time. (laughs) At the same time. So (laughs) I can see why he liked it then. (laughs) Yeah, so he went there, he tried to help them uh, with their smallpox, and he ended up staying and... Marrying them all. Marrying them all, yeah. Well, the next guy to come around is Joseph Strobe, which, as you can probably guess, is why it's called Strobe Island. He comes in the 1860s. Uh, He comes up from Milwaukee. He comes up by foot and ox cart. The train doesn't go that far yet, so he has to kind of walk part of the way. He gets to Strobe Island. He loves it. There's fish everywhere. There's ducks everywhere. There's still some Menominee who live on there, and they're they're happy to see him. Apparently, according to his story, they load him up into the canoe. They bring him out of the island. They show him around. He wants to build a cabin. They're like, yeah, come on, build a cabin here. So I don't know if that's true, but according to him, like they encouraged him, and he 
he didn't even need encouraging because it was very beautiful and there was lots of uh, lots of wildlife. So, mm-hmm. so he settles there. The island is a, kind of a a middle of nowhere place because it's not in Appleton, it's not in Menasha, it's just kind of sitting there in the river uh, between the two. So you know they kind of do what they want. One thing they like doing is cockfighting. So. Oh. What a wonderful trade. Yeah, so so guys from Appleton would meet up with guys from Milwaukee and Chicago, and they would gamble on the cockfighting. So now, is cockfighting something that was very normal to do at this point no, in time? In it, his, was, it was actually was, illegal to do. So it's, it was still very frowned upon. Yeah, it was, okay. not, it was not okay, but because they weren't in Appleton and they weren't in Menasha, Nobody enforced anything. Right. So Joseph uh, oversees this cockfighting, but then when he gets to 72 years of age, he decides, I'm going to retire. He sells the land, probably doesn't even sell the land, probably just signs over the land, to his two sons, Harry and Frank, who divide the island in half. So one has the north half, one has the south half. Now, Harry opens a resort, and the resort is active during Prohibition, and I don't think I need to tell you that, again, this being in the middle of nowhere, he doesn't really care. Yeah. <laughs> so he did get raided on one occasion, but apparently it was pretty common. If you wanted to get some moonshine, you could go out to Strobe's Resort. And your odds of running into any police are pretty low because it's not patrolled. And even if it was patrolled, there's just the one little bridge that goes to the island. So, so it's not like they don't see the cops coming. coming. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that was, uh, I don't know if he ever, like made a lot of money off of it. doesn't seem like he was like a bootlegger so much as he just liked having people come to his Too place nice. to hang out. So, but you said it was a resort. So it was like some sort of bar. Like what is a resort at this time? Uh, sometimes it's called a resort. Sometimes it's called a soda parlor. I mean, okay, I think so it's, it's essentially a, a bar. bar. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so next they build the Island Haven, which... As near as I can understand, it's just another bar. Um, it's built on top of the location where the original log cabin stood. So there's always like some bar that's active on this island. When this generation, Frank and Harry, dies, they pass it on to one of their children, Helen, who marries Clarence Doberstein. And Clarence Doberstein decides that he's going to run this resort, which he calls the Island Haven Supper Club. So now he calls it a supper club. Half of the island is turned into a residential area. It's turned into a subdivision. The other half, the family keeps. Okay. We ignore the half that people live on. We don't care about that. Doberstein starts renting out the property. At first, there's a place called Alex's Plantation, which is a bar that goes up there. Uh, It doesn't last very long before it's destroyed by fire. It's rebuilt. This time, it's rented out by a man named B.J. Eddy. And B.J. Eddy names it the Horse Feather. And the horse feather is really the central piece of our story. At first, it seems like it's a legitimate business. The local newspapers advertise the music being played there, the food being served there, and it seems like a nice place. I found even there was a couple that had their their wedding reception there. So it, it couldn't have been that bad of a place. But, you know... It didn't take long before things started to go kind of kind of downhill. <laughs> it's always a good sign. <laughs> yeah, theft was rampant. Uh, one time a tow truck had to go out there to help somebody, and while the tow truck was helping a person, somebody else went in and stole a to- toolbox and a motor out of the tow truck. 
not the like the engine of the tow truck, but a motor out of the back. So they did that. On another occasion, a man's car was damaged uh, just for parking in the area. Uh, another lady was parked by the horse feather, and she had $700 of jewelry, costumes, wigs, and suitcases stolen. She had three wigs in her car for some reason. That's kind of bizarre, but okay. The assistant manager of the horse feather was parked out front, of course, and somebody breaks into his car and steals a three fifty seven Magnum. So that's good. <laughs> One day a woman is parked in front of the horse feather when a man steals her entire truck. Wow. <laughs> so yeah, just a, a seems like a rough neighborhood. On one occasion, a man tries to sell $50 worth of marijuana to a bartender. The bartender says he wasn't interested, but another man at the bar says he'd like to buy it. Unfortunately, the other man is an undercover police officer. <laughs> so gets turned down and arrested. Do you have any idea? So, so we're seeing an uptick in the crime in this area. Yes. And do do we do you know any of the backstories to the things that are happening? Like, is this because, like you said, they turned half of the island into a neighborhood? Was that island that neighborhood bringing in shady residents, and that's possibly what caused this? I uptick? don't think so. Or was it? I mean, from the sounds of it, it sounds like this bar is quite nice and would probably bring in people that have a little bit of money and maybe it became a target because it's out in the middle of nowhere and people could knew they could come there and steal stuff out of people's yeah. cars and stuff without really worrying about I it. I don't know. Uh, I don't think there's, I don't think it's a bad neighborhood as far as living there. Um, I mean, this is an Island. Mm-hmm. It's, I mean, not that this is super fancy on ocean property or anything, but, but I think the, the lot's probably sold for decent amounts. I don't think just anybody was living there. And, uh, But, I mean, what, what time are we in right now? Early 70s. Oh, so, yeah, they, you would have thought that this would bring in. <laughs> by the 70s, people were kind of coveting, I'm sure, waterfront property. I, mm-hmm. So. Yeah, all of these things, all these thefts and everything, were all within a few months in 1972. So, it's a... Uh, you know, not that thefts don't happen everywhere, but it was they were all making the news. So apparently this was a bad bar to be parked in front of. Now, between 1972 and 1973, I don't know exactly when, but at some point they introduce nude dancing. Okay. So I don't know how classy this bar is for the first year that it's open, but by the second year, it's got the nude dancing. So maybe it's the classiest nude dancing bar. Mm-hmm. But or know. maybe it just started taking progressive steps down huh, in its classiness. Yeah. <laughs> and in general, around this time is when we see a big rise of topless dancing and things like that um, around the state of Wisconsin and around the country. So that could just be that they saw an opportunity. Right. We, hey, we could be the first topless dancing bar in this area, maybe, or something. Yeah. Because the the Supreme Court had made a number of decisions trying to describe what obscenity was, and nobody really knew. So there were so many loopholes in the law that nude dancing kind of became okay. Because to make it illegal, you have to prove that it has no redeeming value whatsoever, which I think most people would say that naked dancing has no redeeming (laughs) value whatsoever. But how do you prove that? Right. So it kind of rises up. Other nudie bars i'm using finger quotes there. that's what they were <laughs> called in the paper other nudie bars around this time were sunny refeld's 
The Club. It was just called The Club on East Wisconsin Avenue in Appleton. The Paradise Club on West Wisconsin Avenue. So anybody who's from Appleton knows the Paradise Club. That was there already by 72. Wow. That place had quite a run, huh? It sure did. And what I found most interesting was Clarence DeLau's Connie's Club, which is actually very close to the Horse Feather. It's on Highway BB, which is Prospect, so it's somewhere out in that area. Um, And what I find interesting about that is Connie DeLau... For those who don't know, and I'm guessing, Eric, you do not know. I have no idea. Connie DeLau was one of the founders of Wisconsin International Raceway, WIR in Kakana. So not only did he have a racetrack, but apparently he also liked topless bars. (laughs) I did not know that. He was quite a businessman. So I learned something from this. He had previously owned a topless bar in Kimberly, but he had to close that. I don't know why exactly he had to close it, but I guess they didn't like it in Kimberly. (laughs) Just wasn't doing very well, I guess. Now, as often happens when you have nude dancers, something else tends to happen as well. In April 1973, Lorraine Eddy, the wife of owner BJ Eddy, is arrested for prostitution. Okay. Not surprising there. Yeah. So a state agent comes in, you know, doesn't identify himself as a state agent, and he talks to her and she says that she's feeling very lonesome. Apparently this is what she does to kind of talk to men. She's feeling lonesome. She leaves briefly, comes back, asks if he wants to go in a back room. He says, sure. She then enters the back room, takes off all of her clothes, lays down next to him. I'm not sure what the furniture situation is here, but lays down next to him and asks for $50. Well, he already kind of knows what the $50 is for because he's obviously he's investigating this. But uh, he asks, he's like, what do you need $50 for? <laughs> he wants to get her to say it. And, and I'm not going to say the exact quote because there's a vulgar word in it. But basically, she says, for $50, you can get anything you want on the condition that we can get out of here in 20 minutes. Okay. Interesting. Apparently, apparently if you're in the room <laughs> there, there's longer a than... firm dead timeline yeah. on this. If huh? you're not done in 20 minutes, <laughs> no. Then it costs more. Yeah. So, so, so this is the owner's wife? This is the owner's wife. Yeah, see, and I was expecting the owner's wife to be somehow managing it or, or something like that, not actually doing it. <laughs> no. She, she, she is actually... If this is if this is to be believed, she was actually part of it. Okay, and w- actually, that does kind of make sense because if he opened the bar when he was unmarried, then he probably met one of the dancers. Well, that I don't him. know, but but that, that would make sense. That I don't know, but this is only like a year after after starting the bar, maybe a year and a half. So yeah. So I mean, it's possible they just recently. I don't know when they got married, so I don't yeah. know that. <laughs> he, of course, he gives her the money, she puts it in her purse, and then he's like, "Surprise!" and arrests her. He doesn't do anything. He doesn't take off his clothes or anything like that. <laughs> he just... Well, he is well, a classy police he's officer. A cla- well, according to him, according to him, he, he as soon as she takes the money, he arrests her. So, you know, I'm maybe that's not true, but we'll trust him for that. Yeah. <laughs> During this time, their liquor license comes up for renewal because you have to get it renewed every year. And... They kind of debated whether or not they were going to renew it. And it turns out they decided they were going to read the city was going to renew the license because they're like, well, we're not going to give a license to a place of prostitution, but 
she hasn't gone to court yet. Mm-hmm. And if she hasn't gone to court yet, well, she's technically she's not technically innocent. not guilty. Yeah. yeah. So like, I guess we gotta we gotta renew it. So they did. Uh, at this point, the town, the city, whatever, passes a resolution saying uh, we cannot have nude dancing in our taverns. So now it's not okay. They're like not not acceptable. And this is kind of like one of those fine lines where it's like you can have nude dancing. But then you can't have alcohol. If you have alcohol, you can't okay. do dance. You know how every place has slightly different variations. So this was their way of, of banning it. They're like, you can't have it if you have a tavern. And that's still actually the way it is today, right? In, in most places. In most places, yeah. yeah. At least in Appleton. I mean. I, I don't know the city by city rules, but yeah. yeah. A John Doe hearing, which as we've described in other episodes, is kind of like a grand jury where they just call people in and they, they testify to random things. A grand jury, uh, a, a John Doe hearing was uh, looking into vice in Winnebago County, and a number of people testified that, hey, guess what? You can get prostitutes at the horse feather, <laughs> and not just the owner's wife. So a couple of other dancers there turned out to also be selling more than dances. Um, and apparently guys from Sheboygan were very popular. The guys from Sheboygan liked to come and spend their money there. Don't know why, but they came, and apparently it was pretty cheap because the owner's wife was $50, but some of the other dancers were only 35 Wow. So, quite a bargain there. Shortly after this, as soon as the nude dancing is outlawed, the horse feather mysteriously burns down. Weird. Yeah. I wonder why. Apparently, rather than decide they're going to continue being a bar without nude dancing... Somebody decided it was just better to burn the bar. <laughs> the government said, hey, uh, we think this might be arson, but they weren't able to prove it. B.J. Eddy said, I think the government's trying to frame me. I don't think that my wife is involved in prostitution. I think this is a story that the state agent made up because he was having an affair with a dancer and didn't want his wife to find out. Also, the local police are corrupt, and they, they commit more thefts in the area than anybody else. I don't know if that's true. I'm guessing that's not true. So, probably not probably not coming from the best source i would imagine yeah so so yeah he's like i'm not the problem here <laughs> but everybody else kind of i mean i don't think the guys from sheboygan were lying because it would be really dumb to testify that you were paying prostitutes like, yeah that would be a really stupid thing, thing to, to do to. yeah well the place burned down his wife was in trouble so he decides okay i'm gonna give up the property his liquor license is transferred back to Clarence Doberstein, a member of the Strobe family, who decides that he is now going to operate a new tavern on the burned down property. He's going to build another one on top of this other one that was built on top of this yeah, other so burned down one. So that's all great. Apparently it stays nice and clean after that, though. The various women end up going to trial. Nothing major happens to them, but, you know, no more prostitution out of the horse feather. Uh, Connie's Club, the place run by the WIR guy, ends up losing its license because they keep pushing the boundaries of what's allowed there. Uh, they keep saying, well, we're going to be a little more naked this time, a little more <laughs> naked this time. And then eventually the police noticed that they were fully nude with a full bar, uh, and that was just not okay. But they kept doing it, and so uh, the city's like, okay, well, we're pulling your license. license. Strangely enough, although this should be the end of the story, there were some reverberations. The big one, which really surprises me is about a year after the fire another man tried to open a tavern at 105 west wisconsin avenue in kakana so right in the middle of 
the top of the hill down. I don't know if it says downtown or what you call that. The mm-hmm. top of the top of the hill in Kukana. Right. He tries to open a tavern. Uh, I'm not going to say his name uh, on the podcast because he's probably still alive. They deny him a license. Okay. Even though he has no police record, he's never been arrested. They deny him a license just because apparently he was friends with people who had go-go bars in Oshkosh and his wife had previously been involved with the horse feather. (laughs) Wow. So even though he had no criminal record, the police said, please do not give this guy a license. Because he's because, probably going to... Because he's, into, he's messing around with go-go dancers and his wife was at the horse feather. Now, I, I don't know if there's more than that that the paper just didn't report, but that's the way they reported it. And I thought, I don't think you can get a license denied for that. <laughs> yeah. This guy probably could have sued. That was what happened. So, um, yeah, just, just a general overview of, like, Strobe Island. It goes from cockfighting, well, smallpox, to cockfighting, to prohibition violations, which isn't really surprising to separate clubs, to prostitution. And as far as I know, it's been clean ever since the 70s. So is there is there still a bar on Stroby Island It's a today? great question, and I wish I had the answer to that. You don't know? I of it? do okay. not know. Okay, the part, if, if Stroby Island is the island I'm thinking of, but I don't think it's the full island that I know. It's just houses. Yeah, but that, when I was there, I remember there only being houses. So if there is a bar, I'm not I'm not aware of it. But I can't imagine that that based on the way you describe it, I can't. It had there had to have been more than what I seen because it was pretty small. So. It's not that big. There's one road that goes to the island, and there's like a circle, like a road that's a circle around yeah, it. Yeah, I think that's that sounds right. So, so it's interesting. It's and, not that. I mean. It sounds big. It's like 90 acres, so it sounds big, but it's really not that big. And honestly, when you talk about it, though, yeah, there's stuff going on on around there, but still, most of what you talked about is pretty tame. Right. Not not the kind of stuff that's going to lead to this guy, our our Frank, what is it, Frank Fry? Frank Fry. Getting murdered. Right. You know what I mean? I agree. And thank you for bringing it back to that, Um, because that was kind of my thought, too, the the Frank Fry, the story that was like in the paper was pretty straightforward. But then there was speculation like from the family and things like that. And I found it very questionable to begin with. Mm-hmm. But I find it even more questionable now because he, Frank Fry was killed in 68, 69, something like that. The horse feather didn't even open until 71. Yeah, so... So it's... He wasn't having problems with the horse, horse feather. feather or anything like, like that. This area might be a bad area, but and what uh, about but somebody was a little fuzzy on their place names and timeline. And you said the WIR bar that actually opened after the horse feather, correct? Well, around the same time. It was around the same time. It was around so, the same time. So that time. probably wasn't even there when Frank Fry was killed either. Yeah, probably not. Probably. So. Probably not. So really, all this stuff that was going on in this area, in theory, that we know of probably wasn't even going on when he was killed well not the not some of this stuff and you know the the rumors of organized crime connections like this at least with the horse feather this is not an organized nice crime, crime situation no. this is this is a guy and his wife with a sketchy bar <laughs> yeah, yeah. so that's all that is um i did not look into the embassy motor lodge which would be you know more relevant to the frank fry thing but but just this was the one thing i did look into for this episode and yeah, there's 
it's got a history. There's some things that happen there that are interesting and whatever, but it's, yeah, like you said, it's not the kind of thing where a, a security guard is going to get murdered. murdered. Yeah, because of it. I mean, yeah. we shouldn't say that it couldn't happen because it could be that well, it could happen. some yeah. guy went to the horse feather or whatever bar was where the horse feather was right. and got hammered, came back, got in a fight with the guard and shot him. But there was also a lot of evidence to per- right. suggest that Frank Fry knew something might happen. It seems that he thought something might happen. happen. And, or, the, and the big thing with the Frank Fry story, to me, is that his body was dumped in Wapaka County. Yeah. Which stupid stuff happens where somebody will get killed for five bucks, where someone's like full of cocaine, meth, whatever, uh, and, and they shoot a guy for five bucks. Like that'll happen. But you don't take the guy, the guy and, and bring him out. This the is country. like almost sounds like a premeditated murder. Right. Like we're gonna kill him. We're gonna take him out to Wapaka. I mean, and maybe maybe it was just a freak thing, and they happened to be going to Wapaka. Sure. <laughs> like they just packed the body in the car and drove it, it out to the country it and could threw be. it. But it could be. But yeah, it just it it doesn't seem to me like the kind of thing where it was like yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't random. It wasn't like he stumbled on something. There was a little more than that. And this, yeah, from what we know here, this wouldn't have done it. No, not at all. Like this is just, like like you said, it's it's a shady bar. Yeah, if he would have been being like, hey, bars. there's there's prostitution going on at this bar, they wouldn't have gone over there and killed no, him for that. that. No, yeah, interesting. Well. Getting us no closer to getting justice for Frank Fry, but no, but no, but I just kind of wanted to, you know, I don't know if this does provide context, but it, I kind of wanted to like expand it out a little bit because it is an interesting story, and I still think there's a lot more that we don't know that we would like to know. So I guess I think that wraps this one up. Um, yeah, I don't have anything else to say. You got anything else you want to no, throw out I'll there? Say, unless this? I end up going down a rabbit hole and the embassy you motor lives turns into a big thing, uh, we should be back with Marvin Jansen for next time. I so. Yeah, definitely, though, if you're going to go down the rabbit hole of the embassy motor lodge, do that before we record the next one, because obviously that would make the most sense if we're going to do something yeah. on that to do it. In yeah, time. then this podcast will just be the... Ever-going Frank Fry <laughs> story. Which is fine. Which is fine. <laughs> so, it's a good story. but so, All right, everybody. Well, thanks for tuning in. We will be back in two weeks with another episode. And as always, if you enjoy this podcast, please leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. And we will see you next week. All right. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to Fox City's Murder and Mayhem. Join us in two weeks for another exciting episode of Murder and Mayhem.